0: This episode of the DLU Podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Supergreen Gummies. The Supergreen Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the DLU Podcast brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Dara T. Lewis, and as I'm recording this on a Wednesday night, um, I want to take the time to dedicate this episode to the late Tina Turner, uh, who passed away today at the age of 83. Um, This woman is a trailblazer. Um, She was the epitome of the word strong, She was the epitome of the word survivor. She's the epitome of the word fearless. And growing up, listening to her as a kid, you know, and and knowing and learning about her story, you know, over the years, you know, the respect that I have for her is is it's it's out of this world. And, you know, the world lost an icon today and my heart goes out to. Her husband um, and the rest of her family, her, her close loved ones, and the millions of fans around the world that, you know, really enjoyed her entertainment because she was one of the greatest entertainers that ever walked the face of the earth. Rest in peace to Tina Turner. But this week's episode of the d Podcast, I have someone who has her hand in many pots, whether it's in the world of uh, film and television, music, you know, poetry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The list goes on and on. As a matter of fact, she is a trained opera singer. And her name she goes by is Lyrical Shakespeare. And we had an incredible conversation about everything that's going on with her life and career and everything in between. And let's not wait any longer. My interview with Lyrical Shakespeare starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, right now I have an individual that quite frankly has her hand in many pots in the world of music, um, film, television, and just overall aspects of entertainment. She's the assistant director for a TV show called The Calling. She's the creative director of a TV show on iElevate TV called Unboxing Faith with Onyx Keisha. Uh, She's a showrunner for the LGBTQ Film Festival in Atlanta. She's a classically trained opera singer clarinet player the list goes on and on ladies and gentlemen I give you the one and only to the dilu podcast lyrical Shakespeare thank you for coming on how you doing hey Derek
1: thank you for having me how are you this evening
0: I'm doing great thank you for asking much appreciated much appreciated well again I, I, it's an honor and a privilege like I said for you to uh, come on to my show and we're going to talk about all aspects of your career and right off the bat you know we're, we're I guess we're at the tail end of this pandemic and everything but Obviously, for a lot of us creatives, adjusting to the new norm has been an extre- extremely difficult challenge to a certain extent, because it was something that we weren't accustomed to. So tell me a little bit about, about your journey through the, the, the COVID-19 um, pandemic through 2020 till now.
1: Well, uh, at first, the pandemic was kicking my butt, I'm going to be honest with you, Um in my nine to five daytime job, I work as a dementia practitioner. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the pandemic, it was very hard trying to um, already manage a very heartbreaking disease in circumstances that were already constantly changing on a daily basis. But it was through that experience of kind of weathering COVID and working in the healthcare industry that started this career pivot that got me out of my house and back into the world of music and entertainment again. So for that, I'm thankful.
0: Now, did you take a break? Now, was there a break that you you took between, I guess, the beginning of your career and starting back after? Really?
1: Yes, there was. So uh, I've been singing for a very long time. And I honestly have been running away from um, an actual career, a true intentional career in music. Um, It's always happened by accident. And about 11 years ago, I... Had a very uh, interesting time in my life, and I took the money I had, my suitcases, and I got on the Greyhound, and like a lot of people, I came to Atlanta and followed my intuition and my discernment, and I actually had a pretty um, well-rounded career about 11 years ago, but it got hard, and life started lifing, and I took a job. And uh, now life started life. And again, and now I'm back on the opposite end of the spectrum and back to doing what I believe that God has really put me here to do, which is bring music and joy to people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So obviously every story has its beginning. So let's take a backtrack for a little bit. So you grew up in normal Illinois. Tell me about life growing up in normal Illinois. Well, um, I've grown up all over Atlanta. I mean, not Atlanta.
1: I've grown up all over Illinois, Mm -hmm. Um, but I spent a good amount of time in normal. That's where I graduated high school. Um, They say everybody, everyone from normal is normal. I can assure you that is not true. Um, (laughs) It's a middle. Well, when I was there, it was much smaller than what it is now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's in the middle of the smack dab in the middle of the state. But I'm really from all over Illinois. I was born in Chicago. I've lived in the upper suburbs. I went to college at SIUC um, in Carbondale. Um, I grew up in the the Illinois foster care system. So I moved to like 12 different places, schools. And so um, I've always had a sense of being flexible and adaptive, uh, being able to easily adapt as a result of um, of that upbringing.
0: Okay. Now, when was it that you discovered your creative side, you know, you know, at that, at, at that very young age? Was it, was it when you were really young or was it like high school? When was it that you kind of tapped into to that creative side?
1: Um, well, musically, very early on, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: as soon as we could like walk and talk, um, dancing. My mother um, was a singer. She sang with the Chicago All-City Choir when she was uh, in high school. Okay. Uh, she's very short. So she's like four foot nine and very unassuming. And so she was very, very frightened. Mm-hmm. And so when she sang with the choir, she was sing behind the curtain and other people would act out. Um, oh. Yeah. And so I can honestly say that when I got to the age to recognize that my mom would tell us these stories, she didn't really sing for us anymore because she had gone through um, some tough situations in her life that mm-hmm. took her ability to sing away from her.
0: I see. I see. I see. So moving on from that, when you said you were classically trained um, opera singer, when was it that you started taking, le- when you really, st- when you realized that you were tapping into some, um, some untapped potential, when was it that you started taking lessons, you know, for, you know, cause I mean, opera singing is not easy. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it takes a certain talent to do so. Talk about that a little bit. I got my first
1: formal voice lesson when I was 19. Really? Okay. Yes. Talk about that process. So I had played clarinet. My mom made sure that we took instruments. I played the clarinet from like fourth grade. Um, And I was in like choir or whatever, but not seriously. Mm -hmm. I always had a lot of uh, confidence issues. So I didn't really sing like I do now then. But when I got moved away from home and I went to college, I used to sing back and forth on campus, uh, back and forth to class to um, soothe myself Mm. Uh, because I was a young girl away from home. I didn't know anybody. So that's what I did to see myself. And I would sing. And this individual, John, another student would see me and say, hey, look, what's your major? And I was like, I'm a history major. And he would look at me like, what's wrong with you? You're a history major. And I'm like, bro, I'm a history major. So weeks of this pass, and he convinces me to go with him to the School of Music to audition. Okay. So six years later, I graduate with both degrees, one in history, one in music. Oh, wow.
0: Now, were you looking to get into the education system or?
1: With the history degree, originally, I wanted to be a military war uh, correspondent was the goal.
0: So you're talking about if there is a war, for example, over in the Middle East, you would have been traveling.
1: Yes, to that those. was what the yeah that was what my original intention was. Wow. Um, with my history degree, I ended up actually becoming a congressional intern, and I interned for Senator Dick Durbin during the time when Barack Obama was the junior senator from Illinois. Mm-hmm. And being that I was an intern in the Illinois offices, I actually got to work both with Barack Obama and Dick Durbin. So, um, from the history side of things, that was, but anyway, I I say that to say with the music part is that it happened by accident Mm -hmm. and everything in in music has been, I thought it was accident, but really I think it's divinity. Um, every time I've tried to turn my back on music, God has put it in my path to be in music. When I was on the road to be a historian, uh, God was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, hold on, wait, we're going to throw music in there.
0: Right.
1: When I was not performing He would always put opportunities in my place so like in undergrad my very first on stage uh performance i sang an opera piece and they all call me opera girl to this day um it's i guess it's unheard of to see black women
0: sing opera and it's true but it's it's, i remember i think it was aretha franklin that Mm -hmm. I think yes. um, Pavarotti for some, yes. it was on the, it was on the, I want to say it was on the Grammys or it was on an award show. I can't remember now. This is years ago. Mm-hmm. And Luciano Pavarotti, the, the, the late great um, yes. opera singer, Luciano Pavarotti, he was ill and could not perform. Mm-hmm. And at the very last minute, Aretha Franklin stepped into that and and and, and actually yes. sang the piece. Yes. And I was blown away. And the respect, no pun intended, that I already have for Aretha Franklin, I was was amazed of what she was able to do. And to your point, I don't think it's highlighted enough of how many are in our community that actually do it. And I just think that there needs to be more. There needs to be more representation, like so many other aspects of the entertainment business where we're not put into that. And, you know, I'm not making this a racial thing, but you see it, you know, as far Mm -hmm. as you know, there needs to be more of us, you know, in some of these circles and some of these different spaces. But I wanted to ask, what was the biggest piece of advice that your first when you try to take the lessons, what was the what was the best piece of uh, best piece of advice was given to you?
1: They talked about Jesus. They're going to talk about you and being an entertainer or being a musician comes with a lot of rejection and mm-hmm. if you can't face some rejection then how are you going to be worthy of the acceptance so get your skin thick now because it's only going to need to be thicker
0: yeah i can i can tell you in in the most confident way possible i've been in the entertainment industry going on 13 years now and i cannot even begin to tell you how many no's that i've gotten over the over the last 30, almost thirteen years, from auditions that I've traveled to Chicago, my very first movie audition, I took a Greyhound, thirty nine hour round trip to Chicago, for an independent film that was very low budget, and I didn't care. I just wanted to audition for it, and you know they and and they had the they they were and technically they don't have to reach out to you if you don't get the role, but the fact that I traveled so far, they at least found it within themselves to email me and say, Hey, Derek, thank you very much for coming out. I know you traveled a long way right now. You know, you know, we will not be offering you the role, but however, we'll keep your information. You said, keep doing what you're doing. You have a really good attitude and all those other things. And that definitely prepared me for like, okay, I'm going to have to take a lot of, a lot on the chin. That's going to say, no, no, no. But All those yeses that you do experience will definitely outweigh a lot of those rejections. And that just comes with the industry. That just comes with the territory. So to your point, you know, for any aspiring entertainers, artists, whatever it is that's out there, you know, definitely prepare. Because this is a very cutthroat business. And at the end of the day, you just have to just control the controllables. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to overtake this interview or anything, but you know what I'm saying. Look, look, I'm learning. So no,
1: no, no, no. I get it. No, this is very useful and helpful information. I just would like to add to to, to what you've said is that the other thing, my voice teacher Clarence Carter, whew, he had some very interesting methods, mm-hmm. but the man was right. Um, always be prepared. Oh yeah. Perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how pretty you sing if you don't look like. You own the room. You'll never own the room
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the practice.
0: Right. A lot. <laughs> stay, as the old expression goes, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Yep. So through through it all, now that you had those, you know, you, you, you started getting into the entertainment industry. When was it that you started getting, really getting involved into the entertainment part of things? How was that transition for you?
1: Well, about... What was that? In April of this year, I had a come to Jesus moment. And the come to Jesus moment was I had an employer who was like, yeah, we're going to make a whole bunch of money. We're going to have these things. We're going to have these themed brunches and we're going to charge all this money. And my mother was sick mm-hmm. and I needed to make more money. And I know that as someone who 10 years ago was getting paid to sing, mm-hmm. um, that it had value. And they didn't see the value for me, but they saw their value. And that's what made me make a conscious effort to say, let me start go performing again. Right. And honestly, it has been through divinity, timing and trusting my own intuition and just being willing to put myself out there. Um, Part of the reason I've not been performing for 10 years is because I've been in my house or I've been at work or in a relationship or whatever. Right. When I started coming out my house, TikTok introduced me to Black Coffee, Mm -hmm. which introduced me to my next opportunity, which introduced me to my next opportunity, the film festival for um, Black Pride. That was because I was willing to volunteer and do community service. And from there, that's how I got the um, opportunity to be a showrunner on the episode of um, Unboxing Faith. And then from there, that's how I got the the assistant directing position. So I guess I'm saying really is that learning to become truly self-aware or as much as I can, because no one's ever really truly self-aware. Right, That's a process. It's a practice, but becoming more aware of intentionality and being willing to really learn. Like I've learned a lot from just a lot of these experiences I've had in the last seven months. I've done more in seven months than I've done in my lifetime.
0: Wow. Now, on that note, what gives you inspiration when writing music? What what gives you that energy? What do you tap into when you're when you're when you're writing? Because obviously, everybody has their own process, right? Everyone taps into a different source, no matter what it is. It could be something that's motivating, or something that could have. They're both motivating, but it could have been something that may have happened, or something that you saw. or was like, you know what? I need I need to write. So, what are some of the things that motivate you? to write and create?
1: Sadness. A lot of my songs start in sadness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think it's because I've always had a difficulty with, um, verbalizing my emotions. Okay. Um, but when I'm experiencing extremely intense emotions, Mm -hmm. um, that allows me to be able to tap into my writing process. But ultimately I write a lot about Um, the experiences of others, like, um, my mom, Mm -hmm. uh, my friends love when it comes my way. Um, um, sometimes a lot of times it's about social justice kind of things. Like Mm -hmm. I get really passionate about, um, elders and I get really passionate about, um, treating people with respect, um, loving one another.
0: Right.
1: Um, I write from the perspective of the people that most people don't see because I felt like a person who's not been seen. Mm. Um, yeah. And I like old school R&B too. So that's the other part.
0: That was the, like perfect, se- the perfect segue <laughs> of my next question, actually. And I was going to ask you, who are some of your influences past and present?
1: Okay, let's go past Okay. <laughs> We're gonna start with Roberta Flack. Okay. Uh, let's throw a little Grace Bumbery in there. Mm-hmm. Let's throw some Curtis Mayfield.
0: Oh, wow! You're going. You're going back. Okay.
1: Then let's sprinkle in a little bit of Shaka um, Khan. I actually was Shaka Khan one year for a, um, a Black History Month tribute, like full really? on. Yeah, it was like a big production. It was in Savannah. Um, Anyway, um, let's see. Um, Currently, I experience music organically. So unless it comes across like my stream or someone introduces it to me because I don't Mm -hmm. listen to the radio, I don't watch TV regularly. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I don't even like listen to like regular radio even. Um, So a lot of my musical influences are, Things that people have introduced me to. So, like right now, my favorite song is "Comfortable" by her. Mm-hmm. But I also equally like uh, this song called "Cybah," which is "Could You Break a Heart?" And that's Sid and Lucky Day. Mm. There are a lot of um, a lot of LGBTQ-centered musicians. I'm really big into indie artists because I feel like they need a larger platform than traditional music
0: i agree it, i agree. Uh, as, a, as a fellow indie artist i wholeheartedly agree with you 100 so majority of my
1: playlists are i would say about 80 to 90 percent indie artists mm-hmm. um but yeah oh and i listen to a lot of radio pusher artists too so like key motion input don't tell them that
0: <laughs> okay. I just met I just oh. met Kimoshin a Quintus while ago. He's Led. a really, really good guy. Yeah, Quinochet, <laughs> yeah. they're they're all awesome, they're really awesome people. This episode of the D podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the super green gummies. The super green gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B twelve, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. If, if money wasn't a factor, what would you be doing with your time?
1: If money wasn't a factor, I would honestly buy out all of the vacant um, like uh, anchor stores at malls, Okay, like think old JCPenney's, Sears, and I would convert them into multi-used mixed creative spaces for BIPOC communities because they're centrally located. They're on, in urban centers. They have access usually to public transportation. As an anchor store, they're op- you can have your own hours, but ultimately it could be a place where like, you could go and do a photo shoot, a mm, recording studio.
0: Right, you can get right.
1: skill sharing. I want to call it the Engaging Collective. It's a bigger long-term lifetime goal, but it is truly my intention to create opportunities for BIPOC communities to earn and learn extra skills without necessarily sacrificing their basic necessities. Um, Working in healthcare for the last 20 years or so, I have seen all too often where the companies have taken advantage um, of the skill sets and the talents of our young black and brown folks, especially, and those Mm who are impoverished and intentionally put them in situations where they have to work 16 hour shifts and their backs are broken and they're tired. Mm. And I'm thinking that by creating my um, foundation, the Engaging Collective as a center where people uh, in the same circumstances can easily find ways to learn new skills that they can supplement supplement their incomes without necessarily becoming um, used by their employers.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, um, that's incredible. That's really, really incredible. Now let's talk about the, the film, the calling for a little bit. And I know we had, I had touched, I uh, touched on that a little bit in, in, in the opening there. Let's talk about the film, what it's about and where people can actually see it. Okay. Well, the calling stars Onyx Keisha, and it is
1: also directed. It's directed by written and directed by BD Watkins. Mm-hmm. Um, And it is about a young woman who is part of a religious family Mm -hmm. who is in the train is training to be a minister and is a latent life, uh, coming out lesbian. Okay. And it is about a lot of the, that journey and the turmoil. And for me, it's relatable because as someone who is also a latent life, um, well, I came out when I was 25, um, um, it's relatable, and also coming from a very um, devoutly religious family, mm-hmm. and just what that could potentially look like, mm-hmm. um, it really resonated with me. So, and I think it'll resonate with a lot of others. It's available. It's going to be available on I Elevate TV, and also Two B TV, and it premieres on December tenth.
0: Okay. All right. So for those that are. Um that are going to be paying, paying attention to this, definitely um, check that out when that does become available on any one of those platforms. And um, thank you for um, for sharing, you know, for definitely for sharing that. Now, who is the most influential person in your life and how did they impact you?
1: Uh, like currently right now or like whole life? Whole life. <sighs> There's a lot of people, but for right now, I'm gonna say my uncle David. Okay. Let's talk about him. My uncle David is married into my family
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know how they say if they wanted to, they would, my dad ain't been around ever, but uncle David is the true definition of if they wanted to, they would, this man taught me how to drive. He taught me how to smoke cigars. He taught me how to pick up girls. He he, he would take me <laughs> back and forth. Um, to my speech tournaments and my chess tournaments. Um, He wrote me the most amazing poem uh, when I graduated from college and it literally it's called driven. Um, And when I say every single office I've ever had, that poem is on the wall in my office because he was really one of the first persons to actually see me and not what, people thought I should be or who they thought I should aspire to be, especially as a young as a young person. Right. Um, And like, for example, on this journey, he might he probably will never know this. I don't know if he'll listen. But um, this summer, when I was going through this pivotal transformation, if you will, uh, there was this night where there was a game night and I had taken my assistant Sunday Mm -hmm. and she wanted to learn how to play chess. And my uncle taught me how to play chess. Um, Okay. Um, and women playing chess, especially black women playing chess is also like, apparently not a thing too much. So when I went to this event, it was a bunch of, um, it was a lot of men. It was, and you could tell that it was mainly a male dominated space, but uncle, I ended up teaching my friend how to play chess and it was a big deal. But from that, my uncle saved my dang old life and he don't even know it. I told him the story about the chess game and how I was teaching people and my uncle paid me a thousand dollars for being able to reteach the lesson he taught me when I was 12. And this was at a time where I had just quit my job. I was literally walking on faith. I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from or anything. And I was just telling my uncle about this game that I had where I played chess and all of the guys were like, oh my gosh, you played chess really well. But my uncle has always shown up for me in a way that maintained my integrity, my pride, my character, but Mm it's also always equipped me with the ability to read the room, maintain lady likeness, but also be able to um, hang out in any spaces too. So my uncle really is... um, yeah, he's. It's not my story to tell, but let's just say that he's overcome a lot that has made me realize that there isn't anything that I couldn't overcome.
0: And it's incredible how we're just segueing our way through this interview. And I mean, you're literally—it's like this is this interview is meant to happen. And I was going to ask what challenging your life shaped you the most and why. My mom.
1: Um. Um. I've been hiding my whole life because I've been trying to hide my mom's condition. Um, And her condition has had uh, infinite impact on a lot my entire life. Um, She's an amazing woman, but she's also very troubled. And as a result of those troubles, they've gone to strengthen me, sometimes tear me down, but Mm -hmm. always build me back up. Um, and I could be a Debbie Downer about those circumstances, but sure, sure. um, I would say that although though that adversity, I've been able to transmute into some really beautiful things, some really beautiful experiences, and the impact that I've been able to have on others um as a result of overcoming that. Um I think is the most important lesson from my life's sorrows.
0: Okay. Now I have a two part question regarding, you know, as far as the music industry is concerned, mm-hmm. the first part is. If it's one thing you could change about the industry, what would it be? And the second one is what do you wish you knew about the industry before starting your career? Ooh,
1: um, Equity. So I've had lots of glow ups, um, but as a younger, young lady, um, 10 years ago, being a voluptuous plus size, amazing entire entree like I am now was not the move back then. Um, And one thing I wish I could change about the industry is that I wish that there was truly more equitable focus on the talent and not just the aesthetics because i could look like a grown boy or i could look like a barbie but at the end of the day my voice is still the same and i'm sure that that's that that's similar for a lot of indie creators that they feel like they can't even begin to create because they don't meet some magical man-made um standard right Um, Something I wish I'd have have known about the music industry before I began my career. I needed to either win the lottery, stack some cash. I need a financial planner. Stack your money, stack your money, get the money. Because if anybody tells you it don't cost money to make money, they're telling you a lie.
0: And that's any... Yeah. And that's any and that's in any field if you're self-employed, like people don't understand, like if you want to start a lemonade stand, for example, I'm, I'm just just giving an example. If you wanted to start a lemonade stand in front of your house, you're going to have to spend money on ads because you're going to have to you have to hand out flyers. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't pay for themselves. You're going to have to buy lemons. You're going to have to buy a squeezer. You're going to have to buy all these other things. You're going to have to build a stand. You got to buy that you know so it, it does so whenever you are when you are indeed self employed you know you have to put in the money the the capital so to speak to to make money so i totally understand what you're saying i mean for me as a recording artist you know there's there's advertising that i have to that i have to pay for you know that my 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 independent label Luciette music which is the production company of this podcast I have to put money into that. It, that. it has to pay for this. I have to, there's so many other aspects in it. You know, even from the acting side, you know, there's like actors access and there's casting networks, all your other things the arts have to pay for. It. IMDB Pro, you have to pay for that. There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of things, and people, and that's the that's the unpretty side of entertainment that a lot of people don't understand. It's mm-hmm. more than just okay, I have a camera phone and I can film myself do videos or whatever the case. And that's great. And I'm not, this is no shade on anybody or any content content that's out there. But for those that are really trying, they're in the, wanting to get into the trenches in regards to working on your craft, paying for acting lessons, acting classes continuously, paying for voice lessons, you know, all the, those, it costs money. You know what I mean? Your pictures, you have to update every year. You have to pay for that. No updating your headshots. So, I told you, you hit the nail right on the head because it is so, so true. So again, for any aspiring artists that are out there, we're not trying to do, say this to scare you, but this, this is, this is reality.
1: It's a any, true reality and it any,
0: can break your journey if you're not really prepared for it. Absolutely. And again, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out. Yes. Indeed,
1: now and it money, it's also hard work, elbow grease, and the ability to willing to actually learn and listen
0: to What's the old expression? I'm smart because I know I'm not, and I listen to those that are. Exactly. that, that that's I heard that quote a long time ago from um, ESPN um, personality Stephen A. Smith. He said that quite it's like that is very, very true. Because mm-hmm. if, if if I want to be around, I want to surround myself with those that have been there and have been successful in that endeavor. You know what I mean? And I would not take advice for someone that has never walked a quarter mile in my shoes. I can't, especially if something has never won ne- someone has never done this before, you know?
1: Yeah. That would be ill-advised.
0: Yeah. I, I, I can't, I refuse. And I've had people that has tried to offer me like, advice on something they have no clue about and i'm like okay you know (laughs) and i just kind of just move on because it's like you can't you can't allow you know any negative uh vibes that are out there because people are trying to plant seeds and it's not good
1: your friends and family
0: yeah (laughs) those
1: who are closest to you cannot really see you which is strange right right but sometimes people especially when you're trying to do something that hasn't really ever been done before in your social group or your family uh dynamic it can be really hard
0: going against the grain right exactly Now what's the funniest story that you tell people about yourself? What's that one what's that one story that you uh you just tell people and it's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> oh God. Um, hmm. Story about
1: me. Um, I don't really have one. That's, that's hard. Um, um, I don't know how, when I did the Miss Ebenez pageant, um, in undergrad, I got up and I got on stage. And I get up and I get ready and I go, I was like, just kidding. (laughs) And everybody, there's like 20,000 people in the stadium and they all like, because by this time I have this reputation for being the girl that sings on campus all the time. Mm -hmm. They all get up her laughing i get a standing ovation before i actually really start to sing like my actual song which is a song i had written and it was also the first time i had written had performed a song i had written mm-hmm. and then i ended up becoming like the winner of the pageant i had no idea that i was going to win so that's a story i tell all the time
0: that was actually pretty uh good <laughs> um may i say that that was that was that was excellent wow unbelievable now, you mentioned now again, I touched on it a little bit before you said you were on The Voice. The I auditioned for you. That's audi- so, what well, you auditioned for The Voice, yes. So, auditioned what we, the Voice eight, eight times really? Let's talk about that for a second.
1: Uh, so, um, I started auditioning for The Voice as early, maybe 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Same with American Idol and like all of like the performance shows. But when mm-hmm. I was younger, I was 300 pounds. Um, I had big Coke bottle glasses. When I say I've had a glow up, I mean not a glow up, um, but I've always had the same voice. And every time I've done original songs, I've sung arias, I've sung the most popular pieces. I just don't think I have the je ne sais quoi. you know what i did this time i auditioned for the last time for the voice this year i just did my audition on november 10th it's a video uh, it's a video submission um i got like 900 likes which is really cool um didn't expect that but Mm -hmm. i've not heard anything back from them at this juncture so we'll see it's
0: still No, and you know what? I mean, the fact that you're even able to, to, to get the audition for uh, an establishment like The Voice, you know what I mean? That's huge. You know what I mean? That's a very popular TV show that's been on for quite some time. So, you know, fingers crossed for you that um, that it, it definitely goes your way. Now, why are you so passionate about what you do?
1: Well, I keep thinking, when I was younger, I kept thinking that other people, other organizations and things would be the platform in which for me to be able to advocate for others. Mm-hmm. However, I have found that sometimes you've got to be the person to build your own platform so that you can advocate in a way that actually has true meaning. And I know specifically now what exactly it is that I want to uh, accomplish. And I realized that trying to help our communities within the current dysfunctional system is an exercise in futility. So you got two options. You can either work within the institution from the inside or build a new institution working on trying to create a new institution. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Now, before we get out of here, I just wanted to ask again, as far as where you're, where you're performing and, and you know, between, you know, obviously 2023, um, where, where do you, where, where can people find you? Obviously, I know you're in Atlanta. Will you be traveling? Will you be doing all those things, you know? So talk a little bit, talk a little bit about that. Yes, yes,
1: yes. So I am going to be the newest host In the Black uh, Black Coffee Atlanta arena, I am going to be hosting Second Sundays um, at Black Coffee Coffee Atlanta, and it'll be a singer-songwriter set, and I'll also be featured that day, so um, that's awesome. In addition to that, I will be performing all over Atlanta, uh, specifically the Love Below Speakeasy, Apache XLR, um, as well as urban grind and i hope to eventually make it to the songwriters competition that's held at eddie's attic which is super awesome because that's where like john mayer was discovered and they discovered ndre at apache apache's awesome by the way um and i am still auditioning for a number of films and television and also writing my own project so let's see what 2023 and beyond brings
0: absolutely and on that note where can people find you on social media your website and all aspects of where they can find you on the social media platforms
1: all right well you can find me on all social media platforms at lyrical shakespeare and that's spelled l-y-r-i-c-a-l-s-h-k-s-p-r And that's on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I am currently launching a website, which will be of the same name, lyricalshakespeare.com. But in the interim, I can be emailed at booking at lyricalshakespeare.com. That's dot L-Y-R-I-C-A-L-S-H-K-S-P-R.com. I I assure you, I can spell my own name. I've changed the spelling so much to make it um, shorter for social media
0: right 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 right, right. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah cuz you want to spell it the right way but of course you know social media yeah. right <laughs> we want to make sure we're doing it there well again lyrical shakespeare you know it's been an honor and a privilege to uh have you come on the dilu podcast and um again best wishes to you your future endeavors and all that you're doing and i'd definitely have you as a, you know definitely come be, you're always going to be a friend to the show and uh, we definitely look forward to talking to you
1: all right thank you again dilo and have a great day thank you for having me
0: well, that does it for this week's edition of the Delu Podcast, so I going to thank Lyrical Shakespeare for stopping by and giving us the 411 on all the things that's, that she's doing, and I wish her all the best in what she continues to do. You know, this past weekend, I was at the ECWA high-stakes event in Morganville, New Jersey, and I had the absolute honor and privilege of being the ring announcer for The Machine, Sam Shields' very last match. He retired. Win-lose-a-draw, he's done and congratulations to Sam and all of his accomplishments that he's done in the world of professional wrestling and it was an honor for me to have been a small part of your journey so thank you i appreciate it speaking of pro wrestling this sat this friday and saturday you know i'm going to be doing i'm going to be all over the place i'm going to be at SWF's American Made event at the Mecca in Ridgefield Park New Jersey tickets are on sale now at swfwrestling.com or you can get your tickets at the door Meet and greet, when the doors open at 7 p.m., and bell time is at 8 p.m., and on Saturday, I'm going to be at the world-famous Monster Factory for Passion. Bell time is at 7 p.m. You can get your tickets at monsterfactory.org, or you can get your tickets at the door as well. You can enjoy a great night of professional wrestling. So, like I said, doing my ring and announcer thing literally in North Jersey and in South Jersey, so I'm going to be everywhere. Looking forward to it. So, you can go get my merch. All right. I got some hoodies and got some really cool tees at my merch store. It's shop.derektlewis.com. Social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat at the real TheRealDTLew. You can also go on Facebook. You can follow me there. It's Derek T. Lewis official page. Okay. If you listen to this podcast for the very first time, Make sure you hit the subscribe button so every single time that new content is is available, you get it automatically and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to look for it. Just hit the subscribe button so no matter which platform that you're on, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Amazon Music, if you're on Apple Podcasts, or whatever it is, make sure that you hit subscribe and you get all new content every single week. Well, I'm going to get out of here and as I always say, no matter what you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.